You can go ahead and grab a seat. You'll see uh, up on the screen behind me that there are multiple ways to give here at South Creek. You can either text any dollar amount to the number on the screen. You can give it um, here in person as they are passing the bags. Uh, or you could also go to our website, southcreek.church. There you can find a um, online giving tab that is safe and secure. And um, you can either do a one-time gift, uh, again, or set up recurring. And so thank you so much for your generosity. I, I especially want to say thanks. This week, I got the chance to, I, I sometimes talk about how we as a church tithe. We give out and we support different local ministries like the Pregnancy Resource Center, Bridges Outreach, things like that. We also help, so, uh, help with different um, international ministries like uh, Nadej, which is in Haiti. And we also support a, uh, a couple named Carmen and Alejandro de Francisco. They are missionaries uh, through the Church of God, which is the group that we are a part of. And they are in Spain. And they went to Spain about five years ago. And Spain is one of the um, least churched, um, most unreached uh, countries in Europe, which I did not know prior to that. And it's been incredible how in five years um, they have started um, one church and they're already up to about 60 people. And uh, they have planned soon to be uh, starting another one, uh, which is incredible contextually thinking about um, the size in a country where uh, typically church is not much of a normal thing. So again, thank you for your generosity and your gifts. They um, help not only us do ministry here, but uh, help ministry around the world. Hey, at this point, uh, I'm going to uh, invite my friends who are in uh, third through fifth grade who have been in here worshiping with us. Um, you guys can head out this door that away, uh, back to South Creek Kids, and uh, have an awesome time. Thanks for being in here. All right, once they leave, we'll get the candy out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They probably honestly have candy back there. Well, this morning, I am uh, super excited because we are uh, starting a brand new teaching series. So if this is your first time, again, welcome. Uh, what a great Sunday to be with us. We're starting this new series called Made Alive, The Journey from Death to Life. Uh, and in this series, we're going to be looking at um, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Sometimes we refer to this as the book of Ephesians. And it is this beautiful book. It is six chapters long. It is small but mighty. And it's this book that um, uh, Paul wrote while he was in prison. And he wrote to this church that he had some familiarity with, that he helped really start. And what's interesting is most scholars believe that this um, kind of became sort of like this manifesto, almost like this cover letter that would have been sent to other churches as well, because it really tells not only the story of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, but it also would lay out in many ways a very simplistic but deep understanding of what it looks like to live the Christian life. And one of the major themes within it uh, is this idea of being made alive in Christ, this idea of going from being a person who once was dead in sin to being alive in Christ. Now, during this series, what we're going to be doing is uh, a little bit different than what we normally would do and what I would normally even suggest Oftentimes when we do book of the Bible um, series, we walk through it verse by verse kind of in order. And uh, as I was praying and studying, I began to notice that Paul does what I do sometimes in text messages and conversations where uh, I kind of jump around with different themes or ideas. Anyone else do this? It's kind of like this circular talking. You start here and it, my wife is so kind because sometimes she can put together where I'm like some missing details. 
Um, but there are some major themes in this book that maybe aren't always perfectly uh, in line, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. And so um, what we're going to do is we're going to be kind of jumping around throughout Ephesians. So we may not get to every bit of it. So I would highly encourage you, if you've never um, read Ephesians or it's been a long time, or if maybe like, ah, I'm not really sure about reading the Bible, highly encourage you. Ephesians is a really great book to start with. Again, it's short. You could literally sit down and read it in about 20 uh, minutes or less. And um, if you want any resources in reading that, I um, would encourage you to do that. Uh, it's really great. But again, today we're going to kind of be jumping around. And in this series, we're going to be looking at um, today in particular what it means to be made alive. In further weeks, what we'll be doing is we're going to be looking at, okay, once we've been made alive, what do we do with that? What do we do with marriage? What do we do with family relationships and being a parent? What do we do um, with dealing with a world that is full of division and conflict? And, and how do we fight? Fight club. We'll have a fight club week. Just come back for that one, okay? Um, but this morning, uh, what I, what I want to do is somewhat similar to um, what we did in, uh, with Easter last week, except for instead of telling some stories, there are some phrases of things um, that God brought to me about this idea of what it looks like to be made alive. But I, but I want to, at the forefront, just uh, indicate and, and make, make the obvious very obvious, that, that Jesus came so that we could be made alive. It's a really small basis starting point, but a very important one for us to be on the same page with, that, that Jesus came so that we could be made alive. And not only that, but his great desire is that we would all be made alive. And the incredibly awesome thing is just this. Everything that is needed for us to, to come alive, the bill essentially has already been paid. The question mark that we're going to have to wrestle with today and the days ahead are, do we want to live. And last week we talked about this idea of resurrection. We talked about this idea of getting up and taking off and going to tell. And today I'm going I'm to give you what we're going to talk about and then we'll go there. There are four things that we're really going to look at this morning uh, in this idea of how we uh, begin to have this journey of being made alive. And that is to wake up, to repent and receive, to resist and rethink and to walk in love. Now, we'll talk about what those mean in a minute. Uh, but I was thinking about something uh, recently. My sons are at this age where when we drive in uh, the morning, when I'm taking them to school in daycare, uh, in between me being the DJ for them, where they ask for things like songs from Sonic movie, or the Mario movie, or all sorts of things, or I have tricked my son Silas into any song being a wrestling song that is classic rock. Is the song Dream On about wrestling? Maybe. I don't know. Thunderstruck? I don't know. It makes me feel ready to wrestle. But one of the conversations sometimes we have in the car is, did you have any dreams last night? Sometimes we talk about dreams that we have. Sometimes my sons lie and tell me the dreams that they had that are not true because they're trying to one-up one another. But I began thinking about one of the most interesting dreams that I had as a child that I will never forget. You see, I went through this phase that maybe you have gone through or maybe you had with your kids, where you become hyper-focused and obsessed with one singular movie that you watch basically every day over and over. My, young, my oldest son, Gideon, it was the movie Trolls. I think we have seen the movie Trolls probably 
I don't know, 8,000 times minimum. Um, We watched it on repeat over and over. Uh, But for me growing up, uh, it was the movie The Wizard of Oz. And when I was growing up, you had to factor in, not only was there the watch time, but there was also the time for rewinding. Now, for those who are maybe under the age of 20, someone lean over and remind, tell them what rewinding means. Which, just a random aside, anytime that I walked into someone's house growing up that had one of those like separate re- rewinders, I automatically thought you were rich. I don't know why. That felt like things like that, if you had a dishwasher, if your fridge had ice, I was like, you're rich, obviously. I was jealous. I had a friend who they had one that was like a car, and it was cool. I digress. One day, I woke up, but I didn't wake up. I wake up, and I am hanging upside down. And I'm hanging upside down in my childhood basement. Now, I'm three or four, I'm four or five at the time. And so I wake up, and I'm hanging upside down in my basement. And my basement is one of those, those basements where maybe the ceiling is seven foot tall. And I am hanging uh, from a rope right above this bubbling cauldron of stuff. It was green, it was bubbling, it was oozing, it was foaming. I don't know what it is. Doesn't feel like it was something good. And all of a sudden, I look over, and who do I see next to me but none other than the Wicked Witch of the West, who is like, ha-ha, hello, my pretty. I practiced that all week, and I don't feel great about it, and I'm sorry. And since it's my dream, and I have some level of, like, confidence and cockiness, I'm like, you're not going to get away with this. Dorothy and the Tin Man and the Cowardly Lion and the Scarecrow, they're going to come save me. And then she's like, we'll see, and kind of scurried away in a really kind of creepy witch-like way. And so I'm, I'm left there dangling, and I begin to hear... If you have a basement, you know the feeling where you can hear someone walking upstairs above you. And so I start thinking, all right, is it the weird henchmen who are like, yo-ho, yo-ho, or is help along the way? And I begin to be excited that help is on the way. So I'm like, yes! And I begin to look at the stairs. Now, my stairs growing up into my basement are, are the ones where, if you can understand with me, there's like the triangle um, kind of slot where eventually you start seeing people's feet, right? So I'm watching and waiting to see the feet, and I can hear them start, you know, slowly taking the steps down. And I get real excited for a minute because what do I see but a flash of ruby red? Life is good, help is on the way. I mean, Dorothy might not have been my first choice. I maybe would have picked the, the, the Tin Man, maybe. You know, he's got an axe, all those sort of stuff. But I'll take the help. But I notice that she is slowly walking, and it's these robotic steps. And not only that do I notice, her patented checkered shirt or, or dress is not blue. It's black, symbolism, I guess. And so she's robotically walking down, and I'm like, hey, Dorothy! Um, I guess I'm more like upside down. Dorothy, over here! Help me! And she's just like robotically standing forward. And then she turns over and she goes, she's got piercing red eyes, not today. And then I woke up crying and didn't watch The Wizard of Oz for like six months. (laughs) Trauma. Now maybe you have a, a dream that you remember that really probably is more like a nightmare. 
It's interesting when you're in a dream, right? Because you, you're, you're like trying to, especially a nightmare, you're trying to figure out a way like, how can I, how can I like make this work out? But I don't know about you, maybe your, your dream life is different, but I've never had a nightmare end well. Like I've never in the middle of it been able to be like, kata, I got out, I'm free. All of mine typically end either um, unfinished or in bad ways. But yet, one of the things that I've realized about dreams, in particular nightmares, is that the way to um, deal with them, to get out of them, is to wake up. Because when you wake up, guess what? You're out of the situation. It's gone. You might be a little, you know, afraid for a while. You might sleep on the floor of your parents' room for a little while. Is it weird if you're in your 30s and doing that? Maybe. No judgment. Fine. The dream happened last year, okay? I was on vacation. But there's this importance to this idea of waking up. The Bible talks a lot about this concept of waking up. And this idea of waking up really is, 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 is having our perspective and our eyes open to the reality of the world. And throughout Scripture, we are called as people of God, as followers of Jesus, to awaken from the realities of the nightmare that we are living from the death and the sin and the shame and the chaos of the world that we have been born into. Because the truth is, every single one of us have to make the choice eventually to wake up from these realities. In, Colossians, or in Ephesians chapter 5, this is what Paul writes about this idea. He says this, for you were once darkness. Not once were in darkness, you once were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord, living as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord, having nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of the darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedience do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes light. This is why it says, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as the unwise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. If you want to be made alive, if you want to experience new life in Christ, if you want to go from death to life, it begins by waking up. And here's the thing. We cannot stay asleep if we want new life. We must wake up. And yet I meet people sometimes who, who have this desire to, in some ways, stay asleep. I've even met some people who are like, well, if I never know and I just stay asleep, it doesn't happen. Bad things in the world don't happen. I don't have to make choices about how I'll live. And yet, we have to choose if we want Jesus to wake up, to be awoken to the realities of this world, that our choices matter, that we need a Savior, that he is our only hope. And not only that, we have to acknowledge this fact that without him, we aren't just in darkness, we are darkness. Think about this for a minute. Uh, when he says this, because again, we, we, we have to reject the darkness to be light. Have you ever thought about this concept, right? Do you, do you know what um, darkness is or what light is? It's, it's the absence of darkness. Light is surely just the absence of darkness. And so when we choose Christ, when we wake up and we join light, 
the darkness is absent from our life. And again, light is the absence of darkness. Now, kind of the, the basis for this whole series comes from uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 2. And it says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgression, transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, essentially, he, he sets the tone, right? That basically without the intervention, without the invitation from Jesus, without Jesus, we're doomed, right? We have this natural world that we're born into, which has this propensity to sin and darkness and disobedience. And so every single one of us without Jesus do not stand a chance. And so once we have woken up, what must we do? We must repent and receive. Now, repent is this fancy Christian word that just means to turn around. You're going this way, you turn around. And this idea of repentance is to turn, again, as we talked a few weeks ago, not just the bad things that we are turning, turning away from, but to the Savior that we're turning to. And this idea of repent and receive is this idea that we are turning from the bad things and we are receiving the only thing that matters, which is Christ. Because it's the greatest gift that we could receive. Paul continues on in chapter 2 by saying this, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches of grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not uh, from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works so anyone can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Because of God's great love for us, he compels us, he calls us, he draws us to stop walking in the path of destruction and death and to repent and turn and receive life. And really what we learn from this, which is the great kind of story of the gospel, is this, is that love changes everything. This idea of agape love, this love that is sacrificial, this, this love that comes only from God, it changes everything. Because without it, we don't stand a chance. We are like the Detroit Lions every season in the NFL. Maybe someday, Lord. But this idea, this love, it's what wakes us up and it shows us this way. And one of the things I love that, that, that Paul says in there is just this idea that, that, that we were created for good works. Have you ever thought about the fact that you weren't just saved from something, but you were also saved for something? That God didn't just save you from destruction and death and separation from him, but he also saved you for relationship with him, for work within his kingdom, for a purpose and honestly, that's incredible news. Because as I've gotten older, most of what I've realized that we struggle with in identity is that we are looking for purpose. And we look for purpose sometimes in relationships, in status, in money, uh, in, in our appearance, and all sorts of things. But ultimately, those things kind of fade away. That's why I've noticed the, the people who, who age the best 
are people who continue to have a sense of purpose. And sometimes that purpose, especially as a follower of Jesus, is something as little, what feels like as little, as just being a prayer warrior, which, by the way, is a huge purpose. But you weren't saved just from something. You were saved for something. But here's the hard part. Sometimes we may wake up, we may repent and receive, and then we get sidetracked. We get detoured. We get distracted. And I think one of the things that we get most distracted by, and it's one of the greatest stumbling blocks to our new life in Christ, is our old life without him. I think sometimes we can be doing great And then we think about, we hear the old song, we get the smell uh, from something from our past, and we begin to wonder. I am a sucker for nostalgia. I love when every once in a while I get like a piece of candy that I haven't had in years. Or this week we uh, walked to Scoops, and I was quite excited to be a very um, manly adult, and I got Superman ice cream. Because let's be honest, it's not just a kid's flavor. It's delicious, okay? Okay. I love nostalgia, and part of the reason I love nostalgia is the same reason that most of us like nostalgia. We think back about the warm, happy, fuzzy feelings from days gone by. But there's also a huge danger to nostalgia, right? Sometimes when we have nostalgic thinking, when we think back about the good old days, we only think about the good parts, which is this great you know, sort of thing that we have built up as a, a thing to help us not remember the bad parts, the trauma, the dysfunction, right? And again, I'm not, I'm not saying that we should like, hey, let's, let's all talk about our, our childhood trauma for a minute and feel sad. But I have found, at least for my own self, I can struggle and fall into the trap of having nostalgic feelings about sin in my life before Christ. I can begin to start thinking about what it was like before I had to be generous what it was like before I had to be faithful. I can think about how nice it might be to not be kind, to not be compassionate. I think about what it could be like to live in in, in ways of relationship that um, are not within the way of Jesus. And I can start thinking back about the reality that, let's just be real, honest conversation here for a minute. Some of sin is pretty fun in the moment. Because as scripture says, it gratifies the desires that we have. And just like nostalgia, when we think about the the warm, happy moments from the past and not think about any of the bad ones, we can start thinking about like, maybe it wasn't that bad. And that's when we begin to trick ourselves into turning back around. One of the things that we have to be careful about and what we need to do is is realize that in in many ways, we have to not just be on the defense, but we have to be on the offense when it comes to our faith. And we have to resist and rethink. And the only way that these sort of things happen is through the help of the Holy Spirit. Sure, we resist by creating life and boundaries and relationships and have community to help us resist the temptations of sin. But we also have to ask God to begin to renew our mind, to help us rethink how we see life. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says this, So I tell you this and insist on, you, insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now, when uh, we see Gentiles in here, these uh, is just sort of a, a slang word for those who are, are not of the Jewish faith. And in particular, when Paul is talking about it in this context, he's essentially saying those who have no desire in his thought to follow the way of Jesus. And he says, uh, in their futility of their thinking, he goes on, he says, they are darkened in their understanding and they're separated from the life of God because of the arrogance that is in them due to the hardening of their heart. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to all your former ways of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Two fancy Christian words, right? Righteousness, holiness. Righteousness, right relationship with God. Holiness set apart. There's this call for us to be active in our faith. While grace is something we do not earn, it is not something that we get to coerce. Um, I've heard a theologian say that, that, that grace uh, is not in favor of earning, but it's not opposed to effort. That there is this reality that we must take some sort of actions of intentionality. And, and some of that is going on the offense to make sure that we are resisting the bad things, that we are taking off, putting off the old life, and also actively putting on the new. And in doing so, we are resisting these things that, again, nostalgically, we might start thinking, that sounds pretty good. But when we are of a sober mind, when we have the rethinking that the Holy Spirit reminds us, we're reminded of how broken and empty we felt afterwards. We're reminded of, uh, of the realities that not only does it, do we feel broken and empty in this life, but we also recognize what it means for our eternity. And we recognize that the great love that God had for us, that his death and his resurrection was not done for us to continue going back to patterns of brokenness and death and sin and decay, but it was to give us new life. But why would we want to keep rechoosing that? But here's the thing when it comes to this idea of, of resisting and rethinking. We, we, we have to be reminded that, that new life cannot be neutral. We either choose to be transformed by Christ or we choose to be conformed to the world. It's this choice or this choice. There, there's not sort of this like, hey, can I kind of do a halfway? Like, could you maybe like do like a, like a side part where like part of it is transformed and part of it's not? That's not how it works. It's an all or nothing thing. And some of us love the ideas of new life, but we're afraid to let go of our old life. It's sort of like me when I'm doing a closet clean-out, right? Now listen, men, you understand this. They're making shirts smaller. They are. No one asked for the slim fit, okay? No one did. Just being honest. But do you ever go through your closet 
and you hold on to that shirt or that pair of pants that you're never going to get back into. Let's just be real. But you're like, maybe. And you're just like, just get rid of it. What's the point of this? It's taking up space. And in the same way, so many of us want to hold on to the old life that we know is never going to bring us joy or fulfillment or contentment or wholeness. And it especially is never going to put us in righteousness, right relationship with God. We have to resist. We have to rethink. Here's the last thing we have to do. We have to walk in love. Walking in love, again, is also something that is an active thing. We can only walk in love because we've been invited. We can only walk in love because of the work that Jesus has done. But every single one of us have to choose if we're going to take a step. And here's the cool thing. God is not afraid to do baby steps, to walk with you at your pace. Some people walk really fast. If you ever go on a walk with my wife, Hunter, put your shoes on, strap them up. The girl walks about 28 miles an hour. She'll slow down if you, like, she will, if you're not me. But have you ever seen the movie, What About Bob, where they talk about baby steps? Baby steps onto the, on the plane, on the elevator. Walking in love can start with baby steps. And that's okay. But so many of us need to just take the courage to start walking. Because if God's woken us up, and through his, through his goodness, we, we have made the choice to not only repent from our sin, but to receive his grace and his goodness. And if through the Holy Spirit we began to try to live a life where we are resisting the evil, we're resisting the evil and we are allowing him to make us rethink how we really think and live, then we have to have the courage to actually walk it out. And we have to walk it out wherever he calls us. And that can be difficult. But we don't do it alone. In in Ephesians chapter 5, it says this, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave up himself for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We follow the example of Christ. Jesus doesn't invite us or ask us to do things he hasn't already done for us. And yet for us to experience the goodness of God, for us to experience uh, a resurrection in our life, for us to be made alive, requires that we would be willing to walk in love. And the truth is, it's what, the, it's what we as individuals need, and it's what our world needs. You know, last week I, I, I talked about the movie The Sixth Sense and how I see dead people. Still creepy. And there are still so many dead people in our world whom I think the only thing that really is going to help them experience resurrection is to see people walking in love. People who are walking in love who are resisting evil. People who are walking in love who have woken up. People who are walking in love who are helping people to rethink what it looks like to live life and life to its fullest. And the question for all of us to really 
ask ourselves is, are we going to walk in love and are we ready to be made alive? Are we ready to wake up from the life of death and destruction and to be made alive? And the incredible thing is uh, you don't have to do anything to get yourself ready. You don't have to uh, feel like you have it all together. Um, God invites us just to come as we are because he loves us right where we are and he also loves us far too much to leave us there. And he's okay with the fact that it might take time and it's going to be little baby steps. But he cannot wait for you to experience new life, to wake up. And so this morning, as Pastor Cole is going to come out and we're going to sing one last song, maybe would you just pray a prayer, whether you've been following Jesus for 50 years or you're still trying to decide how you feel about him, would you maybe have the courage to just say, Father, would you wake me up? And not only would you wake me up, uh, but would you help me to repent and turn and receive your goodness? And would you help me to resist the things that drag me away from you? Would you help me rethink the ways that I have that are broken and lead me back to broken places? And would you take my hand and help me just walk in love, to walk with you? I'm going to read one, one last uh, passage that comes from the very first chapter. And uh, Paul has this prayer for the Ephesians that I want this to be a prayer for you as well. So would you guys go ahead and stand as I'm going to read this and I'm going to pray. He says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realm, above all the rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Would you know, no matter your story, no matter your background, no matter what you're journeying through today, he can fill everything for you, and you can be made alive. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for your great love. Thank you for your mercy, and thank you for the fact that though we were dead to our sin and our transgressions, that we had no hope, that because of your great love, we have been made alive. Father, this morning, I pray that you give us the courage that you would speak in a loud voice to us to wake up. And that, Father, you would give us the courage to repent and turn from the ways that we're going that lead to death. And that, Father, we would receive your goodness and your grace and your mercy. And that, Father, as we're doing it, Father, maybe we're struggling, that you would help us have the strength to resist the temptation and the things that lead us back to brokenness, that you would help us rethink how we see this world and what good life looks like. And Father, would you take our hand as we walk in your love? Father, speak to us as we sing this song. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.